Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us on the show on the final day of the week. This is hardy buck weather, isn't it? It is. It's the proper type of weather for this time of the year. And it's going to get hardier next week. It's going to remain dry. It's going to get colder. There's a chance of a little snow, perhaps, as well. It's seasonal weather. I love it. It's what we should have. It's what's needed at this time of the year. I know you have to wrap up and it's cold or whatever, uh, evening times, etc. But it is that time of the year. It's winter time and we've got to accept that. It's better than the old rain and the damp. Look at the way the ground has dried up even in a few days with the dryness and the east wind and everything. It's made a huge difference. Welcome to the show. We have a potpourri of guests for you to enjoy this afternoon. Our regulars on Friday have a TV theme for you. Can you work it out? We've comedy with Joe Lysa today and David Sheen will be along with the sport after three as usual and my artist of the week. I conclude his story in words and song. Mr Christy Moore after three as well. If you want to get in touch with us on the show, you'll need these numbers for the TV theme competition. 086-1800-658 is the WhatsApp or text number that contacts us directly here to studio on the show this afternoon. I begin with a, a wonderful woman I've interviewed before on the show. She got in touch with me the other day. You might remember Tony Connell was on with me uh, on a motoring feature on Tuesday and we dedicated part of his chat with me this time to road safety and Tony spoke a lot about speed. Well, Mary Smith wants to talk to me about speed and she's on the line. Afternoon, Mary. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. It's lovely to have you on the show with me again. Mary, you rang me, you got in touch with me the other day and you said, Jerry, I want to come on late lunch and talk to people about speeding. Tell us first, where are you? You're in Carlinstown, are you? I'm in Currawood, Carlinstown. Okay, and, and w- what's prompted you to get in touch with me, Mary? On Wednesday, the 10th of January, I allowed my grandson out the front with his mum to play. Usually I have the door locked because he has no road sense at all. So I allowed him out. And next thing, this Jeep, Jerry, came into the estate with no consideration for anybody of what a child might have been out. He never considered it like that a child could have appeared from the back of a car or anything. You know, it is an estate we live in. It's not a racing track. So I'm out there and I'm asking all drivers to please look with your eyes and listen with their ears. But most of all, think with their heart as if something had to happen which could have been avoided for those few seconds. But would have lasted with a driver forever. And as adults, we should be aware we are meant to have sense as you do not know where a child can appear from. So as a parent, a grandparent, I'm asking all drivers to be please be mindful Please out, watch out for these little mites who are just doing outside what a child should do, which is play. So please don't cut it short for them, as life is precious. 
And if they take anything from listening to me today, please slow down, look and listen, as life is not a bed of roses when you lose somebody. And you are Which somebody... I have lost yes. two people. Yeah, you have lost, Mary. Yeah, just remind our listeners who you've lost. In January 2017, I've lost my daughter on the 13th of January and my grandson on the 20th of January. They were both in a met with a lorry in a road accident. And I'm telling you, Jerry, that pain never goes away. People say you learn to live with it, but a day never goes by when I don't talk about it. That's coming up on seven years next week, isn't it? Seven years tomorrow, Jerry. My God almighty. The accident happened on the 12th and she died on the 13th. My God. Emma. You know, mm. Emma and Daniel, yeah. So this really, again, has, has just brought this back to you completely. And, and you're thinking of what could have happened on Wednesday. Yes, like Tyler has no road sense, Jerry. If the door is open, he just goes. You have to put the keys up. He never looks. He just up and down. But as a person behind that wheel, you were given a license to be mindful you know the bright evenings are coming. There'll be balls out playing. There'll be cars parked. A child can appear from nowhere. Mm. We have a, it's in our estate, 15 miles per hour. It's not the people of the Currawood estate. It's the estate behind us in Curra Park. They just come round that corner and into that estate as if they own it. Mm. Do you know? Yeah. And they, I don't know if these people have children of their own. I really don't know. But I've this morning I was outside going out of my drive at ten past ten and a white jeep came round the corner. Jerry, if a cat or dog had to run out, they were just mincemeat. Hmm. Let alone a human being. It is frightening to think of what might have been. And as you say, yeah. when something happens, if you are the driver of that vehicle, life mm. changes for everybody in that yeah. instant. It's, it, yeah. It'll never be the same. Never. And it's not just for the driver. Yeah. It's the person he knocks down. Yes. It's the driver. Yes. It's the two families is involved yeah. in everything in this. Yeah. So all as I'm asking, if they're out on the road and they see a speed van, they slow down. Please adhere to the children in an estate. It is an estate. And that's the thing. Like, the speed limits are being reviewed. You probably know this. They're talking yes. about bringing the limits down to 30 kilometre an hour in urban yeah. areas uh, this year, as it is in most of the UK, uh, the, yeah. the, the urban areas at the moment. So that is going to be, be a sea change. But in the interim, especially in urban, well, everywhere, but especially in urban built-up areas and places yeah. where children are playing, my God almighty, please, you're making that appeal today. Think, yeah. think, think. Think and slow down and listen. Like, to get you to your destination might take you two or three minutes. Isn't it better than having 23 or 33 years on your mind? Oh, if I had to slow down, this wouldn't have happened. Mm. For sure. Like, I don't know in what happened in Emma and Daniel's situation, as I never will know. But, like, you know, it's just, please, please, slow down. There's no need to speed, Jerry. You get there. Mm. And I, I think that is the thing that escapes all of us. We try to get gain those extra minute or two. It mm. makes no difference in the end. It no. really doesn't. You it know, doesn't. like, I, as I say, like, I say her to the estate. I know I drive myself. But please, like, if 
It was frightening on Wednesday, Jerry. I wouldn't have even rang you if I hadn't to see what went on on Wednesday. Mm. So you're directly appealing to the people in Currawood, is it, that you, where you are there, Carolyn? We live in Currawood, but yes. the people at the back of us is Curra Park. Yes. And they know themselves, Jerry, that they're speeding, coming mm. in and going out. There's no need for it. Mm. Do you know? No, there is. Like, they have a green round there that children can play on. In Currawood, we've no green. So the mm. children kind of, like, they get toys of Santa. Naturally, they want to go out and play on them. Yeah. But... What's the point if you have to be worrying constantly, do you know? God Almighty, you know you're coming from a a family situation where you know the pain and the loss and the never-ending heartache that remains with you and and always will. And today, I thank you for coming on and mentioning it in your particular area. But I'd say, if you you by extension, this could be any area across the North East. Any area, Anywhere at all. Any area. And another thing what annoys me most, people often pass you and they're gone the length of the car and next thing they're turning in. Yeah. Like all these things, Jerry, are avoidable. They're avoidable. Mm. Oh, that's you know. that's for sure. They are indeed. Mary, listen, thank you for taking yeah. time to talk to yeah. us. And we think of you and your family this weekend and at this time, um, yeah. you know, as uh, the anniversary of Emma and her young child's passing uh, comes seven years on. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Jerry. Not thank at you. all. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Mary Smith there, who picked up the phone, rang me, wanted to come on, and and I'm as guilty of it at by times myself. And I have to say to myself, you've got to really think and think long and hard about this. You've got to take the foot back off the pedal and adhere to the speed limits. But especially in, as Mary said there, with the brightness coming in the evenings and children out with their Christmas toys and footballs and everything, in your urban built-up area, a child darts out from behind the car there's just no way you're going to stop. And that's what they do. They're like that. They're children. They're out playing. Please, today, do take a moment to consider your driving. Slow down. Speed is one of the biggest causes of death and carnage on our roads. There is little doubt about that at this stage. And if we all do our little bit there, well, it'll make a difference. It really, really will. Brian, maybe we'll give the old competition a spin there. Have you the stab ready? Yes, that is a TV theme. That's our TV theme on Late Lunch this Friday afternoon. Do you recognise that theme song? If you do, I have a lovely prize to send out to one of you on Late Lunch this afternoon. There's been a remake of it in recent times and it's brilliant too. There's a little clue for you. Dara McCullough from Elm Grove Farm near Gormanstown is on the line. Afternoon, Dara. Afternoon, Jerry. Thanks for joining me. I was up with you there over the Christmas. Be the God, you have some operation now. The pizzas were flying out of the place besides everything else. Yeah, you'd uh, you'd get run over if you stood in the same spot for too long. There's, there's plenty going on. Sometimes maybe a bit too much, but sure, look at uh, We've made our bed, we'll lie in it now. Oh, listen, and those free-range eggs from the hens, they're to die for, I have to say. But look at uh, a bit of news during the week. Somebody got the idea they wanted to uh, enter the premises uh, when they shouldn't have been there. 
Yeah, so Monday was supposed to be our first day of normal trading again in the new year. And uh, when we landed down to the shop in the morning, we found the first uh, the front door had been busted in. Uh, all the glass shattered all over the ground. So straight away we knew there would be a break-in. And... Uh, yeah, it was a bit of a demoralising start, you know, you're trying to come back from the Christmas, you've got a list as long as your arm of things you need to get through, and uh, suddenly uh, there's this, and look, at we spent the rest of the day kind of cleaning up, we rang the guards straight away, a kind of an issue here in East Mead in this area, our local guard station is Ashburn, which of course is miles away, uh, there is a, a, a guard station in Laytown, um, but it's only open for a couple of hours every week, and so we rang the guards at 7 in the morning it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon before they came out now I don't really blame the guards the guards you know are busy they were dealing with an assault case uh, you know we were well down the pecking order and there wasn't much they could do for us we had the CCTV footage but you know it was two young fellas all covered up in the hoodies and uh, the scarves across the faces they knew exactly what they were doing they landed in with a a crowbar because it was toughened glass in the door and the only way you can break that you can't break that by if you or I came up to a chair you would think okay how do we bust our way through a glass pane well let's you know hit it in the middle toughened glass doesn't break that's the idea of toughened glass what you have to do is actually pinch it from the side if you ever want to get into the trade <laughs> but we could see that they on the CCTV camera that the lads had arrived with the crowbar and they um they were able to shatter the glass from the edge and they were in and out in less than 30 seconds. And, you know, there's not much that the guards can do. But, you know, if there was a kind of a serious incident here, you know, you couldn't be waiting around for uh, no. eight hours for the guards to arrive. No, it is a, it is a good point you make. Uh, anyway, bad scrams to them. I hope they don't have any uh, good fortune for their uh, dastardly deed. Anyway, it, it, t- it takes a lot to keep a good man and good people down in Elm Grove. You got yourselves going again and uh, you're up and running full throttle. Now, I'm I'm with you really to talk about daffodils and people will think, what are you talking about, Kelly? On the 12th of January, daffodils, daffodils are to be picked, aren't they, da- with you, Darren? Yeah. So uh, if you drive past us there on the main road between uh, Julianstown and Dalbriggan and you look into the left or the right, depending on which way you're travelling, um, you'll see a yellow strip full bloom. So we've thousands of daffodils. Our earliest varieties are already in full bloom. It's quite an early year this year, Jerry. Um, I don't know if your listeners have noticed this, maybe in their lawns, green up a little bit earlier yes. than this time last year. We certainly see it because, of course, every day is crucial at this time of the year. We uh, sell daffodils all over the country and even into Europe. And every day I'm taking phone calls from guys wondering, you know, where's my daffodils? How are you getting on? What's the story? So we know that this time last year, we had an adaptal to pick. This time this year, we've thousands of them. So mm. it's definitely, I would say, uh, about 10 days to 14 days earlier this year. And you'd be kind of going, hang on a second, how is that possible? Sure, it was a miserable Christmas. It was lashing rain. There was a wind that cut you in half and all the rest of it. Well, the plants don't mind the west, they don't really mind the wind. It's all about temperatures, soil temperatures and air temperatures. And the air temperatures have been relatively mild, even though to the human it felt miserable, Mm. to the plant it felt slightly tropical. (laughs) So um, they've just been powering along and we're going to have our first 
Um, pick, well, I kind of, you know, I was trying to make lemonade out of the lemons that we got served up on Monday morning with the break-in and um, we put a little post up online and I could see that a lot, I had a lot of eyeballs. I said, you know what, let's try and capitalise on this. Never waste a crisis, I think is what uh, the business uh, yes. uh, gurus say. So we've turned around and uh, said, you know what, let's all have our first pick-your-own uh Daffodil picking day. So this tomorrow uh, morning from nine o'clock will be open. People can come in and they can pick their heads off. They can pick armfuls of daffodils for a fiver. It's a fiver head for everybody who goes in the gate, and you can get photos. You can Instagram your head off in there, and there's a gorgeous suede of yellow colour, and thousands of daffodils waiting to be picked. Well, that's why I brought John because I'm just thinking of people. It'll be dry and it's hardier weather now, and it's much better mm-hmm. underfoot. That east mm-hmm. wind, as you know, and the dryness, even for a number of days, has made a huge difference. But what a lovely thing for your children to take them along tomorrow to Dara at Elm Grove and do a daft pick, and you'll have beautiful flowers in your home for days and days into next week and beyond. And I think it's a lovely thing for tomorrow Saturday uh, to do. You obviously like you mentioned like you're quite different to the norm you know we have our daffodils in the garden they are well on I have to say to you and we get a crop of them you have daffodils cropping from now until when with all the different varieties yeah you see we've been growing maybe 40 different varieties Jerry. and uh, the first uh, like we would have I would have scoured all of Europe looking for the very earliest uh, flowering varieties outdoor flowering so what we have in our fields at the moment is a variety called January Dawn. You can't buy it in the shops. So I'm not. I'm not selling it, and um, that's that gives us our first pick. But we will be picking away from now until Easter, um, and you know, come Easter time, come the start of of April. Easter's actually quite early this year, just the end of March. Um, but in April, we'll have. You know, your your scented uh, daffodils, your multi-headed ones, ones with pinks and creams and whites and yellows. There's thousands of different varieties of, you know, my mum used to call them narcissis. Anything that wasn't yellow was a narcissi. Well, even the yellows are part of the narcissi family, but, um, you know, there's thousands of different varieties in that and we've just got a tiny little selection that gives us a spread across the season. Uh, Listen, I'll be up to you before then for sure because... I absolutely love them a fiver you won't get better value in Ireland for the daps at Elm Grove tomorrow with Darren McCullough you're a great man talk to you again soon thanks so much Jerry. take care yourself bye bye I was chatting to Mary Smith top of the show there who was making an appeal to all motorists to slow down following a a horrendous incident she witnessed in her own area in Carlinstown on on Wednesday and I thank a listener for pointing this out to me hi Jerry. just to say that the speed limit in the UK is 30 miles per hour which is equivalent to about 48 kilometres and that is true thank you indeed for uh, pointing that out to me I do appreciate it there is a proposed review here in Ireland that many urban areas will have the speed limit reduced to 30 kilometres per hour. That's uh, uh, in uh, under consideration at the moment. But the one thing I'll tell you about the UK is 30 miles an hour. They police it. There are cameras everywhere. There are fixed cameras. Uh, I've been over there. And honestly, if you go over, you are in real trouble. That is for sure. But again, I, I join with the appeals 
for people to consider others and please, please slow down. You heard on the news there uh, about the number of deaths. You're listening to Liz O'Donnell there uh, on our ad ads as well, talking about uh, the carnage that speed causes. It is a message we want to get across to everybody today. We'll... Uh, Come back to our TV theme. Plenty of answers in there. I might give it another run. Somebody there looking for me to give it a rerun. I don't normally, but I just might do that in the next while. Let's see. Now we move on on late lunch this afternoon. And another story before Christmas that I didn't get a chance to pick up on, but I'm glad I am today. The deer cull, or the proposed deer cull. More deer to be culled legally and officially in Ireland. But is it really necessary? I'm delighted to say I'm joined by somebody who's been with me previously on the show. He is the PRO for the Irish Deer Commission, founder of the Deer Alliance, Damien Hannigan. Welcome back to the show. Good afternoon, Jerry, and a belated Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Uh, Good to speak to you again. Many happy returns to you and yours as well. Okay, so so let's throw the ball in here, so to speak, at the beginning of the game. Can I ask you this question? Do we know uh, for certain the deer population trends in Ireland? How many deer there are? Yeah, it, it, it's really a, a common question, Jerry. And I think, you know, some of the comments that we've heard in recent months would lead one to believe that we do know the population, but the matter of fact is that we actually don't know the population or the population trends in any county in Ireland or even in our national parks. Um, So sometimes when we hear um, claims of overpopulation or additional deer culls, it's really somewhat premature um, because we really don't know uh, in terms of, you know, we're we're culling a record number of deer at the moment in Ireland. Over 55,000 deer annually are culled in Ireland by over 6,000 licensed deer hunters. And it really, in the absence of any scientific evidence, it's hard to say, are we culling too many? Are we culling enough? Or do we need to cull more? Uh, the anecdotal evidence that we would see on the ground from those managing deer would suggest that there are certain areas in the country that would have overpopulation, predominantly in County Wicklow, uh, a number of small other isolated areas that would suggest that we have overpopulation. But other than that, the, the indicators would point to the fact that um, you know, the vast majority of areas uh, deer are managed at sustainable levels. And when you mention uh, around 55,000 culled annually, legally, what about those who are, for example, killed on the roads? What about those who are illegally killed by poachers and others? And th- th- those numbers don't come into the- this 55,000 at all, do they? No, that's that's correct, Jerry, and it's a very good point you make. We are seeing... Uh, you know, an increase in the number of deer killed on our roads. And if any of your listeners have been misfortunate to be involved in an accident, um, you know, they'll they'll understand that deer are very much active at dawn and dusk, and particularly in mountainous and forestry areas. And, you know, we'd always make a call to motorists to, to, you know, to when they're driving in these areas, they expect to see deer to slow down. And, you know, if they do see deer, they they tend to travel in groups, so not not to, uh, to expect more to cross the road and not to have their the full lights on because it causes the deer to freeze on the road. Um, but really, the, the numbers, I suppose, in terms of, as you said, the 55,000, which is based on, uh, while not scientific data, it's an annual declaration, uh, which those 6,000 hunters are required to make to the National Park each year, uh, stating the location, the sex and the species. Uh, and it is a declaration of um, uh, that the information that they're providing is correct. But I suppose in, within that data, you know, we have seen a real worrying trend in recent months, uh, both here on the Irish Deer Commission uh, and our colleagues in the National Parks and Wildlife Service, where we've seen 
a real surge in hate crimes towards deer, uh, which is a real worrying development. And what we're seeing is that we're seeing people, um, you know, having deer shot on the land, you know, and dumped in often in situations uh, in the belief that they're reducing levels of TB and livestock. And that's somewhat of a, of a myth in terms of uh, we know deer, like many of our wildlife species, are susceptible to TB, but at very low levels. So we know at a national level, uh, the level in deer is less than 1% nationally um, in terms of testing positive for TB. Now, we've had two reports in County Wicklow, uh, and unfortunately, some creative accounting happened, and we saw uh, reports of 16% were, in fact, a true figure with 0.6% of the most recent report uh, undertaken in Wicklow. So, look, TB as, an, as a disease, should I say, for, for rural Ireland and for farming is a, is a devastating disease, you know, both financially and from a mental health perspective. Uh, and we should do all we can to support those farmers, particularly, <clears throat> I beg your pardon, we shouldn't um, uh, unintentionally mislead farmers into the belief that if we're culling deer, it's going to reduce TB levels within livestock, because that is not the case. Uh, no more than it is in terms of TB levels that we see in rabbits, hares, hedgehogs and other wildlife species that uh, frequent the countryside. Yeah, you make, a, you make a good point there. It is very low, the cases, uh, and those numbers point that out. But, you know, loose lips sink ships, you know that saying yourself. And mm, then, you I, know, what you mentioned a moment ago there, that hate crime thing, that's shocking to contemplate. The other thing I want to ask you uh, is... The, the the open hunting seasons are being changed, brought into line with Northern Ireland. What do you make of that? Yeah, look, it's 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 really. I, I suppose it comes back to my original point, um, Jerry, in terms of we don't know the population of deer in Ireland or the population trends. So, so you know, to to you know, we've heard Minister Charlie McConnell say recently in terms of naming counties as black spots for deer and so on. You know, we haven't even developed uh, a methodology to, in terms of determine, you know, what is a black spot or what is an overabundance of deer in an area. So it's somewhat premature. So the seasons change. So currently the open season for deer in Ireland is from the 1st of September to the 28th of February. Um, and within that, deer can only be called legally one hour before sunrise and one hour after sunset. It's illegal to hunt deer with dogs. It's illegal to hunt deer at night. Um and it's illegal to hunt deer outside these uh, hours. Uh, there are permits for out-of-season shooting where, where deer are culled out, outside of those dates, but it's, it's less than 1% of the farming population nationally, so it's, it's something that's not, not a common form of, of, of deer management. So really, I suppose, the, the proposed changes at the moment is that the female season uh, would be extended from its current close of the 28th of February or the 29th of February, as we have this year, um, to the end of March. Um, and the male season that currently runs until the 31st of December will be extended until the end of April and begin a month earlier on, on the 1st of August. So w- within that, I suppose the primary concern would be is that anything that we do in regards to managing deer, um, animal welfare has to be at the centre of really what we're doing. And, you know, in, in regards to male deer, um, many of your listeners will have heard us speaking before about the rush or the deer breeding season being a highlight of the yes. of the wildlife calendar. But it's also times early when deer, you know, following the rush, you know, they can lose up to twenty five to twenty percent of their body weight, the male deer, from from fighting and breeding with females. And really, they're a spent force in the winter months. And really, for male deer, the winter months after the rush, which typically finishes in November is about surviving the winter. You know, it's about getting through the winter and yes. trying to recover. 
Um, so, you know, it, it does create concerns in terms of, you know, having you know, effectively an eight-month season for male deer um, in, in terms from an animal welfare point of view. And secondly, really, if you want to reduce the population of deer, the focus really should be on female deer rather than male deer. So by, by substantially extending the male season, um, it's, it's really not going to do a whole lot for deer management because one male deer can, can breed with multiples of female deer. Um, so really, I, I suppose there would be our concerns uh, somewhat around that. It's not taken away from the fact that we need to manage deer. And if there is problem areas where we have scientific evidence, we should support landowners and other land uses in, in managing deer at sustainable levels. I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm puzzled. Why are we going down this road? What is behind this? Who is driving this? Yeah, it's probably the number one question, Jerry, on everyone's lips that are involved in deer and actually know about deer management, you know, because we have an agency that has been set up by government called the National Deer Management Strategy Group, which we have supported from a subgroup point of view, but the overarching group is predominantly made up of individuals that would have no academic experience uh, our, our, our qualifications in regards to deer and deer management and recommendations have come from the subgroups to this overarching group. And, you know, we're somewhat puzzled by some of these recommendations and the, the discussions going on. But the, the belief really from, uh, you know, from those involved in deer management is that what we're seeing at the moment is probably politics at its worst because, you know, decisions around the management of deer numbers really should be, you know, evidence-based, scientific-based, not arbitrary seats of the commons, you know, in regards to political or landowner pressure. And we are seeing a lot of political landowner pressure and politics at play um, in, in regards to possibly trying to reduce deer to the level of vermin, um, you know, which is really concerning because there are, I know, iconic species in the countryside um, and, and very much an important part of our natural uh, habitat. Uh, they've existed here in Ireland for over 5,000 years and they're a protected species under a royal effect. And it really shouldn't be the situation where, you know, we're seeing a bigger role from the Department of Agriculture, who is a, a critical stakeholder in the entire process, but also may have an unintended conflict of interest in regards to making decisions on deer management, whereas our Department of Heritage or the National Parks and Wildlife Service are the, the government department that underpinned the legislation for deer management and conservation. And, and are really more so starting to take a back seat. And that is a, a concerning development that we are playing and using deer as a political football. Um, and and that, 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 that is something that is uh, uh, being discussed amongst the deer management and deer conservation organisations in Ireland uh, as to how do, we, how do we deal with this issue. Political football is right. I, look, I despair at times when I think of the fox, the hedgehog, the hare, the rabbit, uh, the creatures that fly in the sky as well. Uh, there's uh, a substantial element in this country don't want any of those being being part of this country or the landscape of the skies or whatever. And at times I despair and dear come under that. When I hear you mention vermin, well, that really is is shocking even to use that word in, in the context of these beautiful creatures. And I know you're not saying that controls have to happen. And that's very important to say. I hear you saying that, that that is part and parcel. But based on scientific evidence, on fact, not on hearsay, rumour or shooting from, from, from the hip either. Is this in? Is this now uh, law? Is this going to happen? Yeah, so as, as of yet, it hasn't happened. Now, the Minister with Responsibility for this is, is Malcolm Noonan. Um, and, we, you know, we would appeal to Minister Noonan, um, you know, in terms of when he's making these decisions, 
that they are evidence and scientifically based. They're not as a result of of political pressure or maybe, you know, in, in terms of land use sector, be it that farming or from the forestry sector. We all know that deer, when they are at unsustainable levels, can have negative impacts on, on, on forestry and farming and the wider ecosystem. But equally, deer have positive impacts. They're an important part of forest ecology, you know, when they're managed at sustainable levels. And, and that is the case in the vast majority of cases. It's very dangerous for us to begin to, you know, paint all deer with the wound brush and, and, you know, create a false perception, you know, that we're not culling deer or we're not managing deer. We already are at record levels. And, you know, to, to have myths in, 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 in out there in regards to TB and other issues, which do nothing to support and help those farmers that have been devastated by TB. Mm. But, but really, I, I suppose, you know, having been involved with deer all my adult life, you know, the over arching concern is that drive to drive deer to vermin and the surge in hate crimes. And, and Jerry, if I can just mention, we've we, we launched a new wildlife reporting app um, with our colleagues in Ireland. Ireland is a, a partnership for action against wildlife crime in Ireland and it involves organisations such as the Wildlife Rehabilitation Ireland, the Golden Eagle Trust and the Irish Deer Commission and so on and lots of statutory and non-statutory agencies. And we've launched an app. Um, we, we'd be happy to put the QR codes for the app up on our on our Twitter page, our X page, as, as I say now. Yes. Um, in regards to where members of the public can report up to ten different types of wildlife crime, uh, such as the illegal killing of deer, or habitat destruction, or, or, or crimes against other wildlife species, uh, they can report on the app, and it generates a very detailed report to the National Parks and Wildlife Service with a, a dedicated section in regards to wildlife crime and. You know, we've been really encouraged by the early responses that we've seen from the app and National Parks and Wildlife Service. Um, So we we would encourage your listeners to use that app to report wildlife crimes. And that's available where again? On what uh, X platform? Yes, so we'll put it up on the Irish Deer Commission um, X page. But equally, if people Google wildlifecrime.ie, you'll see as well on that website, there's lots of information around the types of crimes and the codes are there as well. Uh, The people just simply uh, hold the camera of the phone over the code and and click on it and it'll help them uh, download the app. Uh, Damien, listen, always good to talk to you. I'll be back to this, I'm sure, over the year ahead. Thank you so much today. I really enjoyed our, our conversation and delighted to highlight it. Thank you, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Damien Hannigan there, founder of the Deer Alliance and a PRO with the Irish Deer Commission. OK, I'll tell you. Where is Elm Grove Farm? We had a chat with Darren McCullough and he's a, a daffodil. His first daffodil picking day of the season is tomorrow. Everybody welcome from nine o'clock at Elm Grove. It's in Gormanston or it's near Gormanston. If you uh, went out the old M1 from Drogheda to Julianstown and travel out from Julianstown towards Gormanstown, it's on your right-hand side. It's well signposted just uh, before the big apple green on the left. There's a big apple green left, but just this side of that, there's a sign for it. It's a little road off to the right, quite near that uh, apple green on the left there. That's where it is. So you're looking for Julianstown, out from Julianstown towards Gormanston, and he's there on the right-hand side. Or if you come in off the motorway from Dublin, he's on your left heading for uh, Julianstown as well. That's where Elm Grove is and the daffodil picking is happening tomorrow. It'd be lovely for children. Honestly, bring them up. Daffs at this time of the year, the first. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Crop. Lovely. Brighten up your home as well. I love the daffodil. It's my favourite flower of the year. Okay, let's have a crack at this, Brian. Knock, knock. Who's there? That's how it works. It's called... Comedy? Comedy. Comedy, comedy. Comedy, sir. Comedy. Classic comedy. Classic comedy. On the late lunch. I love comedy. I love Joe Lysett. I really do. I think he's a brilliant comedian. He's so sharp. Well, today, Joe is a bit of a a problem. You see, uh, he has an office in a shared space with other businesses. And of course, he's a tenant to a landlord of the building. And there's a bit of an issue. Here, I'll let you... Let him tell you himself. I've got this office in Birmingham. It's like a little space that I sort of write stuff in and whatever. And I've got this, like, snap frame on the door, which is where, like, the other businesses have, like, their business name, but I'm not a business, so I just leave it blank most of the time. But sometimes I get drunk in the office and I put silly things in the snap frame. And um, I, I just did a thing where I put in the snap frame, I put a sign up, put a sign up which said, have you seen this cat with a picture underneath it that is clearly a fox? <laughs> And then just put missing from the area. Answers to the name of Samantha Peterson. Any information to Peter at peterpeterson at gmail.com. I just made up these things. Made myself laugh. I didn't think of it again. Until a couple of days later, I got an email from Carol. Carol wrote, Mr Lysett, it has come to our attention that you have a sign for a lost cat in your office door snap frame. May I remind you that it states in your contract that we have a strict policy on animals in the building, as this is a workplace. Animals are not permitted, and anyone found with animals in their units could have their contract terminated. Regards, Carol, management assistant. First of all, I checked the contract, nothing in there about animals, so she's got nothing on me. Second of all, it's a picture of a fox, Carol. I replied, Hello, Carol. My apologies. There has been a simple misunderstanding. There is indeed a sign for a lost cat in the snap frame, but Samantha Peterson is not my cat. I am attempting to find her, as I believe she has been stealing from me. into the office late one night last week and discovered that my collection of antique biscuits had been disturbed. (laughs) Outside the building, I spotted a cat and instinctively shouted, Samantha Peterson! (laughs) The cat turned and so I deduced that is her name. (laughs) I know she has my biscuits! Any help you can provide would be most appreciated. Many thanks, Jill (laughs) Asset. Carol sent me a reply. 
Mr. Lassett, I'm sorry to hear about the disruption at your office, but I would like to politely ask you to take the sign down. The surrounding businesses have made complaints that their clients are being disturbed by your sign. Regards how you can be d- disturbed by a sign, I don't know. She sent me another email straight after. She said, also, can I ask what the Peter Peterson email address is on the sign? Are you sharing the office space? Because it's a sole occupancy. I replied, hello, Carol. No, Peter is my private investigator. He has agreed to live in the office and work on this case for as long as is necessary. I replaced the sign with my compliments. Many thanks, Chair. Uh, I replaced the sign with the same picture of a fox, just with wanted dead or alive over it. <laughs> Day later, another email from Carol. Mr. Lysett, we've had more complaints that you've replaced the sign with a very similar sign. Also, you can't have anyone living in your office. Is there a time we can speak on the phone today? It would be easier to discuss this rather than over email. Regards, Carol. I didn't want to speak to her over the phone, so I replied, Carol, I'm afraid that will not be possible. I have been advised by Peter Peterson that I shouldn't use the phone, as it could be bugged. She replied, OK, Mr Lysett, I just had one of our security guys go around and there is no-one answering the door and the lights appear to be off, so I'm fairly confident your investigator isn't living in the office. As long as you don't have pets in the office, I'm happy to forget the whole thing. Regards, Carol. Very diplomatic, very considerate on Carol's part. I replied. (laughs) Carol, Carol, Carol. (laughs) Of course your security man didn't spot Peter Peterson. He is a private investigator. Shapeshifter. He lives in the cracks. He's watching you when you least expect it. He lives in the shadows of your darkest fears. In your weakest moments when you're naked and vulnerable, he's there. Watching, waiting, protecting. He lives through all of us, within us, beside us. He's the breath on the back of your neck, the breeze in your hair, the moisture in the air. Cheers, Joe. P.S. Also, FYI, I found Samantha Peterson last night. I slaughtered her as a sacrifice to our beloved gods and burned the body in a tribal ceremony. I took the sign down this morning. Carol replied, thank you. Yes, Mr. Joe Lysith in his pomp there. One of the funniest men. Your comedy on Friday. For the last 10 years, Veganuary has encouraged many people to eat vegan in January, the month of New Year's resolutions. But this year, I just found it's all a bit quiet. No longer because our good friend is on the line. One of our most prominent and famous vegans, Dr. Roger Yates. Welcome back to Late Lunch. Hey, Jerry, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Am I right? Is it a little bit low-key this year, Roger? Is that just my perception? Yeah, well, first of all, Jerry, is it too late to to wish you a happy new year? Not at all, never. Okay, right, that's done then. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's interesting. I was I was looking around on the internet um, uh, in the last hour or so. There seems to be a lot of press about it, but um, everything else seems to be a bit low-key, I do agree. I think they've kind of gone for kind of corporate things, uh, maybe, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it's not been the big kind of media splash as usual. 
And, you know. know, it's 10 years, I suppose, too, because, you know, to keep the momentum going over a decade is a challenge in itself, Roger. But look, at, I want to ask you this because I have your press release and I've had it a little while. And one thing popped out at me, uh, and I think it's you that's quoted saying this, um, our aim is to prevent the philosophical heart of veganism becoming lost due to everyone thinking that veganism is, by and large, a plant-based diet. But isn't it, Roger? Uh, well, it involves a plant-based diet, but it's, that's not it. In fact, um, that's only a small part. If you think about the philosophy of veganism, then we're talking about um, a movement towards peace. In fact, you could call, um, although some people might think this is a bit overblown, but you could call veganism the ultimate peace movement. It, it was started during the last years of the Second World War, and uh, it was uh, about peace aims. It was about non-violence. Uh, you know, it was about the moral evolution of humanity, this kind of stuff. And so it, it's a it's a big idea, but it's got a diet or a dietary aspect to it. By God, do we need uh, that peace in the world at this time, Roger, more than ever? Absolutely. And in fact, I think I think I, I said that at the bottom of the um, of the press release, the fact that if you look around the world now, in particular, we, we've obviously got, got certain things in mind. Uh, we need vegan values more, more than ever. I don't know if you remember, Jerry, when you first interviewed me, I said that um, that I thought that it can't be good for people to digest and metabolize violence three times a day. And you, and you asked me if I was serious. And I think I think it's in that kind of um, vein that, that, that this kind of thing comes over. The, the idea that if we ingest violence, then it, it's got to come out somewhere. Whereas if if we live in terms of peace, if we live in terms of um, Justice, and and that and that's the main value really of veganism. Justice, mm. you know the v, the VIP, the group that um, I represent. We've got a big banner saying justice before profit. You know, if if we as a as a you know people on the planet were at, were to ask this question, is that just mm. rather than is that profitable? We we would be in a different world, wouldn't we? Oh, absolutely. And the more I live, the more I see through this whole thing, this uh, never-ending uh, strife for growth, for profit. It's just uh, non-stop. And we have to grow every year and grow and grow and grow. But the, 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 it, this planet's finite, isn't it, Roger? It, it is. And, of course, you know, the, there are lots of, um, you know, a scientific consensus that we are really on the brink of, of a major disaster. And... Um, you know, I, I sometimes think, I think you'll probably agree with this, Jerry, that, that human beings are very clever, but not necessarily wise. Mm. And I think, I think the way that we treat the environment is, is a great demonstration of that. Uh, you couldn't, I suppose, put it uh, any better, I have to say. Come back to this veganuary and a, a decade on. Has it, you know, uh, attracted more people to the movement? Well, I don't know. Maybe the novelty is worn off. Uh, that's one thing that m- might might talk about the quietness of it. But I think that, um, you know, because w- one of the questions we posed in, in the release was, does it hinder or help veganism? And I think veganism can do both of those. And um, over the years, the ethical component of the veganism website has kind of changed. You know, there's, there's been some years when it's been good, other years when it's not so good. This year happens to be one where it's pretty good. You know, their value statements are really good. They want to bring about a vegan world, you know, and, and it's, it's got vegan values 
uh, kind of upfront, really. Because, you know, people say to me, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, if you can get people to stop oppressing and exploiting other animals, then whatever reason they do it, it, that's good. But the research suggests that if they don't do it for ethical reasons, then they quickly stop doing it. So it's always been the case that the, if, you, if you're vegan for ethical reasons, you tend to stick with it. And, of course, that's exactly what we want people to do. It's funny, I um, one of my previous guests, Damien Hannigan, from uh, the Deer Alliance, we were talking about this proposed cull, and I did say to him, and again, I'm a sportsman myself, I've hunted, I fish myself and, and things like that, and I love the outdoors, but I'm beginning to think that all we want to do in Ireland is shoot and kill and, uh, you know, get rid of every creature that's natural to our landscape. Yeah, well, I think that goes back to vegan values. Like the, the last thing we would do is want to reach for the gun if we've got a problem. And, you know, obviously deers do create, a, you know, certain uh, yes. problems in the world. Yeah, and we accept but, that, yeah. Yeah, and so, but you won't, you won't necessarily just reach for the gun as a solution. Mm. And, you know, I mean, from, from my rights-based position, it would mean that we would approach other animals as fellow rights bearers. And then on that basis, try to sort out what the issue is. But what you don't do is reach for the poison, reach for the gun, and, and just do it through violence. Yeah, you know, when you when you talk about the wider aspect of veganism, that justice-based philosophy, the, the peace movement, etc., it is far wider than that narrow. And that's why I wanted you to just explain that to our listeners as well. Coming back to the, the actual food itself, and you and I have talked a lot, a lot about this in the past. Another thing we, we addressed on the show with uh, Laura Amada uh, earlier in the week was, you know, the, the lack of nutritional value in food and indeed in fruit and vegetables and all it takes to spray them and keep pests off them, etc. What about the, that concern? What do you say to that? Yeah, well, there's a big issue within the vegan movement. And in fact, it actually started in the 1950s, but it's come, it's come to a head in relation to like crop deaths, for example. So a lot of vegans are now looking at things like uh, veganic, agriculture but also things like vertical farming you know the, the kind of indoor kind of farming kind of things which, which would then mean that you don't use pesticides you don't need insecticides you don't need any any of those bad things everything would not only be organic it would be veganic which is the best the best you could have and so there's a lot of people looking into that alternative forms and in fact um again going back to the environment you know, we have got lots and lots of lands. We've got derelict buildings. All of these could be producing uh, fruit and vegetables. And that's probably going to be the way that we get out of the problems in the future. Yeah, I was looking at a wonderful place. I think it's underground in London. So many levels of it. I forget what it was used for in the past, but they're growing everything in there as well. And it seems to be doing really quite well. What about the the, the aspect of, you know, out socialising, you go out for a meal. And I know you and I, from me first met, I put this to you, we're in 2024 now, Roger. Is uh, uh, the vegan palate catered for uh, well now in restaurant menus and th- that whole type of area, hospitality? Um, Yes, indeed. In fact, about two two years ago, there was a um, a memo that went round the kind of uh, restaurant business, really, based on their journal research. And what they found was that um, vegans will be going out with their with their mates for for a meal, and so you might have four people, one of which is vegan. And so they realised that if you don't cater with vegans, you lose all four of them. So it, it it came like an economic imperative 
that, that people would kind of uh, cater for that demographic. And so rather than just having one vegan option, which was kind of pretty standard, you, you, there would be competition to, to get more to attract the vegan, which brings the other three in. If all that makes sense. Yeah, it does indeed. Because you're going to lose, you, you, you know, you're going to lose the lot if you don't cater for. No, I, I, I ask you that, and I'm quite aware of myself. There, there's a sea change there, and it is good to see. What about supplementation? Is it important? You know, they say to us, "Oh, you need your proteins. You need this, that, and the other. You're not going to get it if you go down this road." Talk to me about that again for a moment. Yeah, there's been a kind of generational difference within vegans. I mean, I, I'm an old-time vegan. I'm, I'm 45 years vegan now. And um, I, did, I didn't supplement for, for the first 30-odd years. And, and a, lot, a lot of you know, my, my peer group were like that. The, the modern-day vegans are much more kind of in tune with it. But that's because the medical advice now is, say, if we take some like B12, the medical advice is for everybody over 40, certainly over 50, to, to be taking that supplementation. And one thing, of course, that flesh consumers don't know is that they, they inject um, B12, et cetera, into the so-called cattle. So everyone is being su- supplemented, regardless of their diet. Mm, interesting when you, when you mention Are you sure of that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a standard practice now, yeah. There you go. Um, the... Back to the to, to the point of uh, veganuary again. We have lots of people listening to us today, and we'll be re-listening on the podcast and all over the place online, etc. If somebody's curious to find out more, it's only it's only what the eleventh, twelfth uh, of January at this stage, the twelfth, shall I say? Um, where can they get more information about the veganuary? Uh, you know, push. Well, Veganuary has got its own website, so you could go there. It's actually got a very, uh, this is ironic really, but it, they've got a very impressive um, list of uh, recipes as you'd expect. But, they, you know, but if you, if you want to go to, for the ethics, and I, I, would, I would probably go elsewhere, there's a great little site called helpgoingvegan.info. That's really good. Uh, you know, people can go, go there and get much more of the ethics. Um, actually watching the, the, the ethical stuff, Online, the, you know, the, the famous animal rights philosopher is called Tom Reagan. You know, if you, if you look for Tom Reagan online, then you, then you get the reason why mm. as well as the how. Mm. And so if you put those two together, you, you've, got, you've got, you know, to kind of phrase the recipe. The Ganyary, the website, or helpgoingvegan.info, as Roger mentions there. It's always good to talk to you. Uh, I have always said to you I admire uh, what you do, and I'm delighted to have you back with us on Late Lunch at the start of the new year. Until the next time, Dr. Roger Yates, thank you so much. And thank you for having me, Jerry. Take care. You're very welcome. Take care of yourself. Roger Yates there speaking to us about Veganuary on your late lunch. Still to come on the show this afternoon, my artist of the week is Mr. Christy Moore. And I'm probably playing his most favourite song today for you. And David Sheen will be along with previewing the weekend's GAA and soccer action. But uh, you stay there. Go nowhere. We're taking a small sus. <laughs> work. I hope those men are at work. They've been at it for years. They're down under on your late lunch this afternoon. If you're interested in taking up beekeeping, could I recommend to you an open night for beekeeping for beginners? 
It's taking place on the 25th of January at half past seven. The Chagas Centre, Dublin Road, Dundalk. Tom Shaw and the crew there will look after you. 25th of January, 7.30, Chagas, uh, Dublin Road, Dundalk, if you're interested in taking up uh, beekeeping. Brian, the traffic, you, you notice, uh, Brian, out here, go out from the radio station here at evening time, oh. turn right to try and go down the hill. And, Brian, the traffic, did you notice the last few days? Yeah. I think this week in particular, it's disastrous. The traffic is oh, right. Either way, either way, leaving here. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's shocking. And, and Brian, you know something? We've, we, we highlighted this on Late Lunch about a year ago, myself and Louise. The same thing was happening. Do you know what I suspect, Brian? Some sequencing of traffic lights has been changed somewhere else, Brian. Yeah. I, I, that I, has... And the bridge being closed doesn't help. Absolutely. Oh, listen. That's don't don't the mention number, that, right. Sorry, that's, sorry. That's I, the, I don't want to mention no, that, right. No, don't sorry. mention the war. Okay, right. That's the number one factor. But I heard P.O. Smith there on the news talking about, I think he was on with Michael this morning, uh, switching off all the lights in town. Now, I don't know how that would work, to be honest with you. But I do believe that whoever is in charge of the lights, are you listening? They generally are. Will you please go and check what you've done with the sequencing of lights in Drogheda somewhere uh, off the Ratmullen Road, somewhere else, because it's gone mad here and the last week. Do you know where also, yeah, there, and do you know where also, if you come down from the North Road, yeah. down onto Georgia Street, yeah. it all of a sudden has gone chaotic. Absolutely chaotic. And uh, do you know what? It, it's... As as a person from RD who's well used to traffic, <laughs> yes. you know, I was talking to someone. I never thought it'd take me forty minutes to go through one town. I know, and then you just get to a turn and it's gone. It just disappears. It's a magic illusion. I don't but mean to laugh. I coming in to draw it lately, yeah. especially in the last number of months, yeah. the traffic has just piled up. There's no doubt that little artery of the bridge has caused a ruckus altogether. But please, would somebody listening to us today in authority or with a with an ear, please ask somebody to check the sequencing of lights somewhere in Drogheda that has at this knock-on effect that Rat Mullen Road is backed up to LMFM every blinking evening now for ages. It takes ages to get there. Absolutely. And and, and, and they don't think of you, Jerry, trying to get home for your dinner. Listen. The spuds are on. Oh. You know, you're out of here. No, and no, it's Brian, just, Brian. And you're there, you know, I have to hungering stop you there. there and <laughs> you're saying, I need to go home for my spuds. <laughs> They're going to be born and then you go home and she's giving out, where are you? I'm stuck in traffic. And Can I stop you there? There's no spuds go on in our house until I'm home, baby. Oh, so remember right. that. So it's causing bedlam. In fact, it's causing that much bedlam. I've taken the toll now. I'm paying the toll to go home to the north side of Drogheda. No way. And I am. And you're one of the most... Mis- no, uh, I'll pay it to get me home, to get them spuds on. I have to say now, I, I do travel to <laughs> Dublin a lot and I do tend to use the tunnel because uh, traffic. Well, come on, we're making an appeal on late lunch today. Let's reprise our TV theme. Yes, that is the theme from All Creatures Great and Small. And loads of you got it right. You did indeed. Marie Foley, 
you are our winner this afternoon. Uh, well done to you and we'll be in touch to make arrangements to send our gift out to you from late lunch this afternoon. But thanks to everybody who got in touch with us. James, James Byrne, thank you indeed, has been listening to us talking about the traffic situation. He said he will raise uh, the concerns with the powers that be and I, I understand it's not an easy one, James, at all uh, to find a solution to the sequencing of lights that works for everybody. Uh, but there you go. Anyway, thanks. I really do appreciate you coming back to us and thanks for getting in touch on late lunch this afternoon now time for this on the show the late lunch artist of the week artist of the week uh, of course mr christy moore this week and i think i mentioned it during the week about his political and social commentary it's only when you look at the list of causes that he's uh, sung about the hunger striker bobby sands his song back home in Derry, viva la quinta brigada what a song that is about the irish men who fought in the spanish civil war against franco it's a wonderful wonderful song minds locked out bloody sunday in Derry. he supported mary robinson in our presidential run in 1990. Ronnie Reagan, do you remember that one? Ronald Reagan. Hey, Ronnie Reagan, I'm such an I'm pagan. Uh, he appeared at the Glastonbury Festival in 2005 where he sang, ironically, about the Palestinian solidarity activist Rachel Corrie. By God, it's in the news today. He was anti-nuclear uh, the festival at Carnesore Point. Remember that one? They never came home about the stardust. He ended up in court about that and he had to uh, back down on that one and remove the song from his album at the time Ordinary Man. But it did reappear in his later box set uh, on the album Where I Come From. Yes, Christy has sung about many's a cause over the year and he certainly stirs up the emotions when he does but his final song today is an emotion I want to stir with you because I simply love it he's at his best here here he is Christy and black is the colour yeah I was 1968 I was doing a gig in the Glasgow Folk Centre in Montrose Street and I didn't go on till about 12 o'clock on a Saturday night and it was fairly late and the fellow that went on before me sang this song and when the concert was over I said hey, give us that old song would you and he did <laughs> Black is the colour of my true love's hair Her lips are like some roses fair She has the sweetest smile and the gentlest hands And I love the ground whereon she stands Done by the Clyde one Saturday night in 1968. Mr. Christy Moore, my artist of the week, bringing down the curtain on his week in words and song with Black is the Colour. What a fantastic song that is. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Friday afternoon, our final break of the day and week. And afterwards, as is our want each Friday, we're looking ahead to the weekend sporting action in the company of Mr David Sheehan. We have soccer and GAA to run the rule over with David Sheehan. Afternoon, David. Afternoon, Jerry. Thanks for joining me again on the show. Let's get straight to business. GAA this evening, Meath following their comprehensive victory over Loud last weekend are in action tonight in Ashburn. 7.30 throw in. It's online on lmfm.ie or the app. O'Burn Cup semi-final against the holders Longford. Meath have had to make a number of changes. 
Well, they had to make a number of changes, all right, Larry. They've made 13 in total now. I believe there's a challenge match on, I think it's tomorrow. So that's probably why Colin O'Rourke is shuffling is, is packed to such an extent. But having said that, it's a, it's a very exciting looking team when you look through some of the players that are there. Rory Kinsler, who came on last week and scored three fine points in the second half. You've got Danny Dixon in the midfield from Boards Mill, who is really highly rated. Dermot with Moriarty in the midfield as well, kind of a new position for him. And then you've got the likes of Keith Curtis, corner forward, who had a great season with Rathkenny. Uh, Carl Finnegan and Dara Rowe then who featured last week as well. Dara Rowe is an interesting one from Sydney. He was in and around the panel a few years ago and has been kind of been uh, out of the squad for a little while, but he's back in now and has another opportunity. So I think it's a really exciting looking um, team Meath have out. And, you know, a lot of unfamiliar faces to Meath supporters in there, but those people who follow the club scene in Meath will be very familiar with a lot of these players. Inexperienced, certainly in a lot of positions, but very, very talented group of players. And I think it'll be really interesting to see how Meath get on tonight and what sort of performance they put in. Always difficult as well, Jerry, as a new player coming into a team to make an impression when you're surrounded by so much inexperience but that's the challenge these lads face to go out and make a name for themselves and, and to stand out so really yeah looking forward to it i won't make it myself i have a prior a prior commitment that you're well aware of as well so um I won't be at it myself, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how they get on and hearing about it. Um, you know, a good performance last week against Leo. I said it to you last week, I expected me to win that game last week reasonably comfortably with the strength of the squad and the team they had out there, and they did that. Uh, Longford drew with me last year in Ashburn in one of the worst nights I can ever remember uh, watching a game, and uh, that draw was enough to send Longford through to the final. So me to be looking for a little bit of revenge. Obviously, it's a pre-season competition, but... You know, I haven't seen a Longford team out yet, so it's hard to know what sort of a strength of a team they have out. But I think for me tonight, um, you know, the result is obviously a, a, a bonus if they can get it. But Colin O'Rourke will just be looking for a performance and he'll be looking for some of those guys that are on the fringes to put their hand up and stake a claim for a place in the league. So uh, really looking forward to it and it promises to be an interesting night for them. As the late Paddy O'Shea said famously about Kerry against Tipperary, Mead should beat Longford. They'd beat them on the telephone. But anyway, <laughs> that's it. That's for another day. Westmead and Louth. Uh, shield competitions. I never understand shields. They're for losers. You've been beaten. You're out. Forget about it. Loud play Westmead tomorrow in Kinnegad at one o'clock. You really know how to curry favour with the locals there, Jerry. I'll, I'll say that for you. Yeah, they were beaten last week by me, as I said. But I guess the reason they brought this shield in is just to give teams another go. You know, they had the group system in for the last few years in the O'Byrne Cup. Teams were being dragged down the country on a Wednesday night in all sorts of conditions. It wasn't really ideal. So I think this is maybe a bit of a halfway house. That They're obviously reluctant to get rid of these pre-season competitions in spite of, you know, growing uh, opposition to them in many quarters. But as we know, the, the, the proceeds from these goes to the player fund. So there is a, an importance keeping them so yeah Louth have made a few changes themselves seven changes from last week debuts for Liam Flynn Sean Reynolds on the 40 from Saban and Parnells now he's one to watch and as anyone will know who's watched the club scene in Louth or indeed the underage teams over the years I mean we talk about Luke Little look, looking like a man at 16 Sean Reynolds was, was looking like a man two or three years ago really strong powerful dynamic player someone who they'll have high hopes for in Louth of breaking through so him on the on the 40 tomorrow will be something that will excite a lot of Louth fans to see how he does because he's such a talent and I think they've, they've got really high expectations for him seven changes again as we said Ger Brennan will be looking to uh, shuffle his pack a little bit Samuel Roy is back on the bench uh, a few unfamiliar faces in there and uh, you know a new enough midfield, midfield partnership with Conal McCall and Tommy Dernan who's back in so it's going to be an interesting one again. You know, hard to know what sort of a team Westmead are going to have out. Um, if for Ger Brennan, it's just about getting le- time into these players' legs. Mm. Still a new manager in the job and trying to nail down a, a sort of a starting fifteen and a, and a squad for the start of the league, which of course is only is only a couple of weeks away. So uh, this is probably you know, if they can win today, they get another game. But um, Ger Brennan just looking to, to nail down a few places and give everybody a bit of a run out. So again, hard to call it as the result, but 
looking for performances tonight or tomorrow, I should say. Sure thing. Let's move to soccer and uh, to say that the this round of Premier League games are split in two. There's five this weekend and five next weekend. Uh, so giving some uh, teams a bit of a break. So I'm glad to say Arsenal won't be beaten this weekend simply because they're not playing. Anyway, tonight, <laughs> Burnley faced Luton. Two teams in the relegation zone, both tipped to be relegated. Yeah, the interesting one about this is that Neither side knew if this game was going to happen or when it was going to happen until the cup games were out of the, the way last last weekend. I think this game was originally uh, fixed for a Monday night in October and then it was rescheduled and there was a, a chance it was either going to be a Monday, Sunday or a Friday night. So what's happened here now is Luton Town supporters have a 400 mile round trip uh, for a quarter eight kickoff on a, on a Friday night. And I know that the supporters uh, body over there are really unhappy about this, but you know the television schedule doesn't tend to care too much about supporters. So that's just one little backdrop or one little piece of the backdrop to this so 19th versus 18th you'd have to say both teams are looking likely to go down it's it's hard to call it at this stage but themselves Burnley, Luton and Sheffield United look like the three teams that are going to go so I mean I don't like to use the term ball men uh, as one myself fighting over a comb but uh, Burnley and Luton tonight it's it's hard to to see either of them getting out of it regardless of who wins tonight's game I, I'd probably just about give Burnley the nod at home but is it going to matter in the in the grander scheme probably not Two other games to look at. Tomorrow, Saturday, Newcastle, Manchester City. Now, this would have been regarded as a real ding-dong game until Newcastle went the Arsenal way and couldn't buy a win. And uh, City finding their feet again, they're certainly the favourites for the title. An away win? Yeah, you'd imagine. So, ninth, ninth Newcastle at the moment, they had a terrible run. They they redressed the balance somewhat last week in that very disappointing weird time derby. Actually, I was really looking forward to that game and it, it was a real damp squib. So, Newcastle got a, a much-needed win there. I think they'd lost six of their last seven or seven of their last eight. So, a bit of a confidence boost for them. But Manchester City... You'd, you'd have to fancy them to win that one at St. James' Park. Joel Linton out injured as well, who's a who's a key player for Newcastle. And they're on a, a bad run of form. Linked with Dominic Solanke, actually, inter- interestingly as well, a player who Eddie Howe would know from his time at Bournemouth. But, yeah, I think you'd have to probably fancy uh, Manchester City to win that one with a little bit to spare. And the other game I want to talk about is on Sunday. Manchester United are at home to Tottenham Hotspur. Now, normally, you'd, you'd go, United beat Tottenham for fun over the years at home. But the scenario mm. has absolutely changed. And I, I did tell Spurs fans at the beginning of the year who weren't sure. Trust in Ange Postacoglu. Ange Ball, yes. Well... We talked a lot, a lot about him at the start of the season because they had they had such a good start, and you know he he was a bit of a breath of fresh air. It's interesting. Some of the journalists I've seen recently, they they feel like it's almost a bit of an act that he puts on this kind of mate carry on with with Postacoglu. I haven't found that myself at all. He seems to be a fairly likable and genuine guy, but yeah, they're missing Son. He's away at the Asian Cup. They're missing Saran Basuma Spurs because they're at the Afcon. So. They're going to be down a few bodies. Uh, the new sign that they got in, I think, is, is is available. I was trying to find out that for certain earlier, the centre-back. But, yeah, Manchester United not in great form at the moment themselves. Um, obviously, Hoyland hasn't really done anything for them yet. I know he got that breakthrough goal a couple of weeks ago, but he's really, really struggled to make an impression since he's, since he's come in. Uh, I'm going to go for a Spurs win here. It's it's a tough one to call, but um, I, I fancy Spurs to just have a little bit of an edge here and maybe a, a slightly a better confidence level than Manchester United have at the moment. But, uh, again probably a toss of a coin in it depending on what sort of a team each side is able to put out but I, I think Spurs just about to, to nick that one oh, I think I'll go along with you there with that one and again then we'll have all the speculation about the Manchester United manager until next week David see you soon take care thanks Jerry.
Bye. That's David Sheehan there looking ahead to the weekend sporting action. Don't forget that uh, Meath game tonight online on lmfm.ie or the LMFM app. And the same with the Loud match tomorrow at 1 o'clock. 7.30 this evening for Meath, 1 o'clock tomorrow for Loud in Kinnegan. Well, that's it for the week on Late Lunch. I want to say a huge thank you to Brian Farley, who's been with me all week. Thanks a million, Brian. Couldn't have done this without you. Really appreciate all the assistance you've given me. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with the drive here on LMFM Radio. Have a lovely weekend. It's going to be dry. It's going to be cool. Wrap up and get out there and take in the fresh air. We'll be back, please God, with Late Lunch on Monday from half one. It's Blue Monday. Won't be on Late Lunch, I promise you. Have a good weekend. See you then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.